uh, for a word of prayer. <clears throat> Lord God, we are so thankful, Father, that you're in our lives. Father, we're thankful for the way you've blessed us. Lord God, help us not to take that for granted. Father, um, as I share, I just pray that uh, you'd be glorified, Father. Lord God, that uh, we would all see you as we need to, Father, that individual walk. We thank you, Lord, in your name. Amen. <coughs> and start in uh, Mark 10, if you uh, want to look in your Bibles. Uh, it's a familiar passage. It's about um, the rich young ruler. So, uh, probably know, know that story um, where he comes to Jesus and says, uh, good teacher, he says, why do you call me good? There's only one who is good. And he said, what must I do to uh, receive eternal life? And um, he says, well, here's the, you know the commandments. Right? And he lists uh, a bunch of the commandments. And he says, all these I have kept since I was a boy. And he said, okay, only one thing you lack. So, <clears throat> and uh, Mark picking it up in verse 21 and 22. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. <clears throat> so we know, we've been talking about this journey in the wilderness as a journey of faith. Uh, trusting God for everything. So this means that uh, we often can't see where we're going. As I, I think I've got up here, and usually we don't know where we're at. You know, it's trust. The problem comes in in the fact that it lasts for years and years. So you can never think you've ever arrived, right? <clears throat> so at each victory, you'll think, oh, I've arrived, it's over, right? This strain, this stress, whatever. So you long for life to be comfortable again. Uh, but it's never over as long as your security is based on anything in the world or some combination of things in the world. You rich young ruler, Jesus says. God wants that last thing you're holding on to. He wants everything. He wants to be your only security, to be the only thing that you rely on. Rich young ruler, be careful not to have your earthly treasure be part of your identity and your comfort not to base it on worldly riches. So, remember, the riches here could be anything, okay? Anything that binds you to the earth, that holds you, uh, constrains you, uh, and uh, leads you to focus on earthly temporal things, worldly things, fleshly things. Uh, <clears throat> so here he focuses on money, probably because it's one of the hardest things to let go of, and it's common to all. As long as there's been trade, there's been some exchange of money. <clears throat> so that would resonate with the largest audience, even us. So we need money, yes. Not really a bad thing in itself, right? 
It's not money that's evil, it's the love of it, remember? We straightened that out one week here. So we need money, but we have to be willing to give it up in the sense of not being bound and held by it so that it limits us in what Jesus is asking of us. Okay? We don't want to be restricted or restrained. So each of us must figure out uh, what that means for us in our own wilderness. Okay? <clears throat> because we're all in different places. It's a higher honor to be poor in the kingdom of God because it's freedom. Many of the stumbling blocks are removed. James 2.5 says this, Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? <clears throat> next next. So Israel became weary of their labors in Egypt and then the whole trek to the promised land into the wilderness started. So our Egypt, we're working for the world systems and values. It seems to start out fine, okay? You're young and you're a go-getter and you have to provide for your family and that's a good thing. But then we soon become inundated and taken over by it. We, can't, we become accepting of worldly standards. Okay? And then we base our lives on worldly standards instead of godly standards. Our fruitfulness becomes measured by material possessions, which become the main thing that prevents us from following the Holy Spirit into the wilderness, a.k.a. materialism. Right? It's one of our main stumbling blocks and North America is sort of leading the charge in materialism, right? So if we truly seek first the kingdom, as the Bible says, uh, as our first priority, then all the rest of life will be properly prioritized and God will take care of all of our needs. <clears throat> the beginning of walking into the wilderness is do everything we can to acquire the treasure of the kingdom and not make the needs of this life our top priority. There's a few facts about, uh, probably have them listed up here, there's a few facts about the process of death to our flesh. It cannot be hurried. Okay? You can't say, oh yeah, I'm just going to let go of that. It cannot be manipulated, right? gotten around somehow. It cannot be prayed through. I'll just pray that and that'll be gone. Right? The process of death to our flesh has to be experienced. Okay? Have to go through it. The Holy Spirit in this process becomes our teacher, our cloud by day, and our pillar of fire by night as we walk in humility. And continuing on from the story I read there in the beginning, Mark 10, 26 and 7 says... Um, when uh, Jesus says it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom, and then he gives that uh, analogy of the camel trying to get through the eye of the needle. And uh, then in Mark 26, the disciples look at him and say, then who can be saved? And Jesus says, with man this is impossible, okay? But not with God. All things are possible with God. As we know, 
as we've come in our walk, understand God does not value what we value. Okay? His priorities are different. He will sacrifice our reputation in order to save us from our own bondage. Okay? Whatever we're holding on to. <clears throat> John 6, 66-68 says this, as following Jesus, taking up your cross, became more and more apparent. That's what it said in John 6, 66 to 68. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Sometimes, if we're honest, we'd like to run, right? We'd like to not stay in the wilderness, not stay on this path. We'd like to get out. But now that we've tasted the good things of the kingdom, and now that we love Jesus, uh, there is nowhere to go, you know? We've, uh, we've walked long enough and stumbled enough times to know that there is nothing else. He has the words of eternal life, so why would we choose something lesser? Anything else is lesser after you walk so long with him. Uh, <clears throat> any pain we experience is caused by our own, and you can you could think about these three categories, fear, unbelief, and rebellion. Those three things, if you think of all the things uh, you can put underneath those three categories, fear, unbelief, and rebellion, and what pain can come out of those three, much of life goes under those. Okay, next one. Okay, I'm just going to give a little review of the wilderness, Jericho, and the seven nations, very brief, before we explore the battle between the flesh and the spirit and how that works. Um, in the wilderness, you may remember some of this, it's common or natural to develop symptoms of anxiety, striving, nervous habits, restlessness, or lack of peace, and fear. And you're experiencing this, when, when you're experiencing these things in the wilderness, when God is leading you, and you start uh, getting uncomfortable in some of these areas, what's actually happening there? God is exposing our unbelief. Okay? He is showing us the point at which we stop trusting Him. Okay? Where do we get up? What's your limit right now? Where's the edge of your wilderness? <clears throat> he drives us into the wilderness because we wouldn't go there on our own. Okay? Nobody likes discipline at the time, even though it's going to produce good fruit down here. The best approach to our wilderness, rather than fight and prolong the process, a better approach is pursue God for a revelation of the reason he has you in these circumstances. Okay? Ask God. Right? <clears throat> so basically that's, you know, quick nutshell of the wilderness. Jericho, second stage, is characterized by confusion and inner turmoil. Oh, great. Why would I ever go <laughs> embark on this thing? Uh, remember, death to the flesh is painful, and it sends us into emotional turmoil. Right? It's not all smooth sailing, as we know. 
So there's some choices here. Uh, we can hang on to God and His promises. Hopefully we would do that, right? If you walk long enough with Him, hopefully we would do that. Second thing we can do is we can cope, which is rebellion, okay? Relying on your own strength and your own strategies. A third thing you can do here, because it's uncomfortable, is you can shut down emotionally. Ah, been there, don't like those feelings. Stay away from those. So avoid your emotions at all costs and drive them down deep. And then warning from the counselors that they will manifest later on somewhere. So not a good plan. Um, but remember, the Adamic nature desperately wants to make a life of its own outside of God. Right? So that nature's still in there. And it's trying to be the God of our lives. Okay, third uh, <clears throat> part is the seven nations. Are we still on the same slide? Seven nations, yes. <clears throat> Sorry. So the conquering of the seven nations of the heart is a fierce battle between the flesh and the spirit. It's filled with intense manifestations. The flesh tries to maintain control. Doesn't want to let go, doesn't want to die. So it may strike out at others or at God. And as far as striking out at God, this is a good little thing to do um, if you're looking for a solution there. Continually confess, even stating out loud, that God is good. It's hard to blame God for everything if you're just in your house. God is good. Somebody says, wow, you're looking well. God is good. <laughs> you know, any chance you get just to bring God into the forefront. And we'll see this. I've got two... Um, five or six verse scriptures here, so they're, they're a little bit long, but um, just advice from scripture, how to best succeed, uh, have the spirit win over the flesh, is Galatians 5, 16 to 21, 1 Corinthians 5 to 11. So Galatians 5, 16 to 21. <clears throat> so I said, live by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, in the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under law. <clears throat> so he lists clearly here what not to do. He says, the, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Here they are. Don't do these things. Sexual immorality. Yeah, impurity, debauchery, which I looked up, means excessive indulgence in sensual pleasures. So anything that pleases the eye, right? Pleases the taste. Uh, do not indulge in debauchery. Idolatry, we covered that. Don't make anything an idol. Witchcraft. Uh, to me, that would come out of hatred and anger and, um, you know, cursing something, someone. Witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, you know, got to get what you can for you, right, putting yourself first, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Quite a list. If you look that up in Galatians 5, don't do those things. Um, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay? So if you don't want to enter the kingdom of God, do those things. And I think that uh, 
I don't want to say it's not doing those things that cause you not to enter the kingdom. It's not following Jesus and putting him first that causes you to get into those things. Right? And then you don't enter the kingdom. 1 Corinthians 10, 5-11. Quite an interesting passage. Uh, In talking uh, out all the ways Israel experienced God in verses 1-4, to that uh, interesting and wonderful, he uses the word all a lot. You all passed through the desert. You were all baptized into Moses. Uh, you all drank the spiritual drink. You all ate the spiritual food, etc. Then he gets to five. And notice how many times he says some of you and what happened. You don't have to do everything. You, if you do some of these things, it shows where your heart is. It says, even though you did all that, all you had all these experiences and all these blessings. Verse 5. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Most of them, all the done. He just keeps saying most of them or some of them. Um, their bodies were scattered over the desert. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things, as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. Some of them again. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test the Lord as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples. These are examples for us. And were written down as warnings for us, on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. And you could keep saying the fulfillment of the ages has come, it's coming, keeps coming. So two great passages, advice from scripture, how to uh, ensure that your spirit dominates over your flesh. Okay, now I'm going to look at five different parts of this battle of the flesh and spirit. Uh, So, there's five things. The first thing is craving evil things. God does not look at us like we look at each other. God looks at the heart. Jesus puts our heart of flesh to death, uh, and we become a new man, a new woman, a new person. So, therefore, it's not us, our new man who sins, but the old man. Wait, now it's been put to death. Yes, but he doesn't go quietly into that good night, does he? He strives, he wants to live. The old man wants to live. So understanding the separation between the old and the new man helps us to win the battle with the flesh because it stops this self-condemnation, you know, condemning yourself over everything you do. When we sin, as it helps us separate the feelings, desires, and thoughts of the flesh from the spirit. Eventually, you know what, you walk with God long enough, you know what's from the spirit and what's from the flesh. Remember, the flesh lusts after worldly or evil things and wants to change the gospel into a way of satisfying itself. Just make the gospel fit me, right? I'm not going to fit into what the gospel says. I'm going to cut pieces out until it fits how I want to live. Okay? And it does that, the flesh, fits the gospel around itself, 
Otherwise, it's going to be destroyed. It doesn't want to be destroyed. So craving evil things is one thing. A second uh, level, which we discussed a lot, so be brief, is idolatry. So we remember the golden calf that Aaron made uh, with the Israelites in Exodus 32, 1-4. The golden calf was a physical uh, thing that was made, but it's no different than the gods we serve in our hearts. They appear good um, to our human understanding, but they're really subtle idols. And a couple of these that you can get into, and uh, as I mentioned already, was um, reputation and wanting to be liked by everyone. These are big things for us that um, must be uh, put to death in ourselves uh, and uh, let go of if we're going to fully serve him. Okay, third thing, next slide is sexual immorality and coping is a subtle but dangerous inclination in the sanctification process. Um, we pick ways to cope, right? Ways to deal with, like I said, this process we're going through. And it's a way of surviving the circumstances rather than seeking God. We always have the choice. We can go to God or we can deal with it some other way, cope with it some way, please our senses. It's easy to fall prey to sexual or spiritual immorality, in other words, putting God second, if we don't walk in humility and surrender to Him. Coping keeps us static. Keep going back to that same thing that's been satisfying you and there's no growth, right? Um, and it's actually a rebellion against God. Um, <clears throat> when we hit a wall and we cannot see a way forward, it's a time to pursue, pursue God for answers. As we know, we know this so well that it sounds clichéical, uh, that He alone can bring our hearts to the cross and give us victory. That must never become a cliche. That must never become so common in our minds that we forget. Knowing a truth is one thing, but walking it out is where we enter the wilderness battle. Okay? The devil's in the details, they say. Um, okay, testing the Lord, the fourth thing that we can fall prey to. Throughout the sanctification process, we are tested and exposed talked about that a little bit earlier. Why? To bring us to the end of our own efforts and so strengthen us spiritually. Okay? That's why God tests us and exposes all the ways we're trying to satisfy ourselves. So our rebellion here, our rebellion here causes us to question God's love. In other words, test Him while He's testing us. We say in our hearts, if you really love me, you'd give me what I want. Right? There's always something at the base, no matter who you're complaining about, if you take it right down to the core of what you're thinking, you're actually blaming God. The rebellion of the flesh stops our growth as God will not respond to works of the flesh. We stay cut off from Him or stagnant in growth until we come back to Him. He's not moved. He's still there, waiting. Come back to me prodigal son, we come back to him in humility and confession. 
Sorry, brother. Sorry for what I've needed. Okay, the fifth thing, murmuring. Psalm 106, 24 and 25. Yea, they despised the pleasant land. They believed not his words, but murmured in their tents, and hearkened not unto the voice of the Lord. Complaining about the way God is treating us is another work of the flesh. Okay? And I've done it. I'll probably do it again. Right? Sometimes I like complaining. Right? There's something wrong. <laughs> the government. I don't know what I'm going to complain about today. But you have to move out of that eventually. right? Because it is a work of the flesh. So realize part of the process, part of this process we're in, is to be left in need by God. Quite something, isn't it? Paul said, God, take this thorn away. Right? The famous passage. What God say? No. No, not doing it. You know, my power is made perfect in weakness. Okay? When do we pray to God more? We pray to God more when we're weak. When we're strong, we tend to forget Him. The Christian life is not a guarantee of a comfortable life. It is not our right to be provided for abundantly. You don't just say, Jesus, I invite you into my heart, and then expect that the floodgates of heaven are opened up for you, and never again will you have a problem. That's not the way it works. <clears throat> it is by grace that we have anything from God at all. Uh, our complaints are accusations against God that he is not loving us properly when in reality what's actually going on is he is choosing the best and quickest way to get us from bondage to the promised land. Even though it doesn't look like it sometimes because, you know, going around. A one-month journey does not have to take 40 years. Okay? But if you um, rebel in one or two or five of these ways and you keep picking different ones and keep fighting God, the sanctification process takes a long, long time. <laughs> it does anyway, but you stay where you're at. And we don't want to stay where we're at. We want to grow in God. Okay, next one. Okay, some painful trials. 1 Peter 4.12. Dear friends, do not be surprised. No, why are we surprised? Do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. You know? He has an order and a systematic way of doing the work of sanctification. Okay? It's like building a house. Each stage must be completed before the next stage can begin. And I confess I was tempted to list the, you know, surveying off the property and digging the hole and anyway, and I, I'm not going to do that. Um, but the steps in a house, right? Everything from the plumbing to the wiring to whatever. However, just like there are no two houses exactly the same, um, the process is different for each one of us depending on a number of factors. Okay, and these are big things, really. Personality, you can do a whole studies, and people have done theses on personality. 
uh, our woundedness. No two of us are wounded the same. The same way we've had dis different losses. All of us have had losses. They've meant different things to us. Character traits. Look at the difference in uh, disciples. Look at the difference in Peter and Andrew, the brothers, right? Uh, and the rest. Um, spiritual makeup. Your weaknesses and your strengths, right? Some people have great strengths that other people don't have. Some people have weaknesses that other people don't even have to think about, you know? Um, so how do we facilitate the sanctification process? How do we fix our eyes on Jesus? Again, this is one of the best to me. Eh, they're all great, but Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, okay? says, therefore we are, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, I put in there, do this. Okay? Here's some instructions. Let us throw off everything that hinders. Okay? Something's blocking your way in this journey with God. You don't want that. You know? Get rid of that. Just even imagine throwing it off. You don't want to do that anymore. Um, and the sin that so easily entangles Sin entangles. Picture being, you know, just all wrapped up in something that you just can't get free of. Okay? So if you were to um, throw off all those hindrances and get rid of that sin that's entangling, right? And then, how much easier would it be to do this next part? Run the race with perseverance. You wouldn't tire so easily. Run the race with perseverance. Run the race, run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author, he wrote it, he wrote your faith, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, he's our example, that endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So, our example of walking through a process, being here on earth, and sitting down at the right hand of God. No, we don't sit down at the right hand of God, but we do get to enter the kingdom, right? Um, okay, next one. Maturity. Okay. So, question mark. How mature are we spiritually? Okay, not, not how old are we? And then we, I look at three different ways that uh, God measures maturity. Okay. The eyes of faith. So, a really powerful thing to do is to see God in all circumstances. Okay? And the good, the bad, and the ugly, people say. Right? The hard stuff. To see that all circumstances are meant to do three things. Teach us. Right? Learn something new. To discipline us. Don't do that. Stop doing that. Guide us. Keep us on the path here. Why go over there? Right? Read Pilgrim's Progress. Why stray from the path? So teach, discipline, and guide us. The test of maturity is the size of the problem we can overcome or handle with trust and faith in God. You know? No matter what comes. Okay? God is not going to move. We're going to experience all kinds of physical, all kinds of problems, and all... And we, we couldn't even list them here today. We were here for 10 hours. The problems that we have experienced and will experience and the people around us have experienced. But God doesn't change. All the stuff that happens to us, He's still there. 
So if we trust him, doesn't matter what happens out here. Doesn't matter the loneliness, doesn't matter the this, the that, the whatever we're experiencing. Okay? He's still there waiting. Okay, so eyes of faith, see God. Okay, see God in everything. Uh, saved by grace, the second way he looks at maturity. It is knowing our complete unworthiness, how far we fall short of his holiness that keeps us, um, does three things for us, keeps us certain ways. Um, it keeps us tolerant. I don't like that word, so I put empathetic of others, right? Tolerant of others, empathetic of others. Um, it keeps us thankful. That is, it helps us to see our own blessing. Again, we can get up here and we can testify about our blessing. We are blessed, right? We are blessed. Every day. Um, we're not under two feet of water. Um, and third, um, saved by grace, you think about it, it's a, a channel of grace uh, for fruitful ministry. Uh, that is, seeing your own unworthiness gives you grace to minister. Okay? Nobody goes out to the mission field or out somewhere thinking how good or how right they are. right? Just by grace that we're even here, that we're even up in the morning doing our thing. Uh, and the third way um, that God measures maturity, uh, that death is a way to life. When we can embrace death of self in humility... With the expectation of great gain, we will understand the kingdom of God and how Christ transforms us. When we can follow the Holy Spirit into death of the flesh with joy, not grumbling, for the sake of gaining the promises of the kingdom, we are well on our way to becoming what the guy in the book refers to as the warriors of God. Okay, just a couple more slides. Next one. And we know this. Um, there are no formulas in this process. Okay? If you don't know that by now. I mean, if you walk with God for any more than a year or so, you know there's no formulas. Um, there are these, even the things in this book, right? This is not the gospel. This is the gospel. <laughs> um, there are general guidelines here that I'm talking about. Um, but the walk is different for everyone, as I said. Um, we want and we crave formulas. Okay? We like them. We naturally like patterns. Um, but with God, there is none. Okay? Um, when Jesus was transfigured in Matthew uh, 17, Peter and James and John wanted to build three shelters. Uh, I think Peter stated it. Um, but basically... This would have been an altar to mark the spot. People would have known where it happened. But Jesus knew that the carnality of man would worship the spot as a shrine, and so he denied the request. We want to turn something into a formula. Just show me where it happened. You know, I'll go there. So for us, uh, when God does something good in our lives, the flesh wants to package it. That's our first thing. We want to get a, get a handle on this. Right? And then we want to tell others about it. And why do we want to do that? So we can look good as they learn the way to do it. This is the way to worship. 
right? That's why history is a great thing. Just look back through, you know, oh, that wasn't really the way, was it? Uh, you know, this is the way to read your Bible. This is the way to follow God. Um, the fallen nature wants to reduce or box in a dependent walk into a system, right? Reduce that dependent walk, that independent walk, that dependent walk on God, I mean, into a system. And it wants to make a relationship into a bunch of rules and regulations and laws. Just show me the three spiritual laws or the whatever it is, right? Because relationships are messier, right? The Holy Spirit shows up, he takes up a lot of space, right? It's not all nice, clean steps. Um, so what's the solution? So we help the, the uh, spirit to win here. We must have this hostility of the flesh put to death, this desire for a formula, so we can take more of Jesus into our life. And so uh, know that in him, uh, there's all we need, right? He is all we actually need. And the interesting thing is that the, the more we have of him, the more we trust him, and then the more we trust him, the more we have him, the more we get him, you know? You walk further and further. As soon as your trust stops, right? Okay, you're not gonna walk any further with me? I'm here waiting. Okay, come back. Okay, last one. Okay, so I thought this was a great uh, little section in the book about asking the right questions because we've all asked the wrong questions before. We interpret delays to answers to prayers as our faith being tested, right? Sometimes we do that. And maybe, maybe sometimes, okay? Maybe it could be that. Um, but sometimes it's actually because we are asking for the wrong solutions, okay? Such as that that problem might be taken away, whether it's sickness or financial problems or whatever. And it might be okay to ask for that. But then we mistakenly stop there. Okay? Take that away, now I'm going to wait. Take that away, I'm going to wait. Right? If we ask for removal of a problem rather than wisdom and direction to overcome it, God does not answer. Doesn't answer the way we want. So what should we ask? So here's the four questions. I don't know if I put them up there or not. So here's the four questions. Um, Lord, why am I in this situation? I mean, ask him. You know, pray, ask. He'll, he'll show you. Uh, what are you trying to teach me in it? Okay, there's something to learn here. You're in this. It's a hard lesson. I got to look at myself. I don't want to do that. Um, how can I cooperate with your purposes in it? There's a great, great question. Let me cooperate with you. I want your purposes to succeed in my life. So help me to cooperate with you. How can I do that? Show me how to cooperate. Um, and what do you want me to do in the process of your overcoming the situation for me? Very interesting, uh, the way that question is. What do you want me to do in the process of your overcoming the situation for me? He's working on overcoming it, okay? Um, so ask him what, how you can help, you know? How can I get involved in a way that's going to facilitate you helping me, <laughs> you know? All right, um, just to wrap up, just a a few things um, about what the promised land means for us. We do have one more chapter in the book, and that'll be in two weeks. 
Um, but just a little prelude to see what, uh, what the promised land means for us. In other words, what does it mean if you navigate the wilderness successfully and do not give in to fleshly desires? Okay. If you help God in this process, uh, let me say it that way. Um, so here's some things. Um, spiritual authority can be yours uh, for your calling and a position of service in the kingdom. Okay? Um, this is all, saying these things means now you have relied on Jesus and you're continuing to rely on Jesus. Then these things uh, come. Second thing, the development of the fruits of the Spirit, okay, which are the foundation of fruitfulness in our ministry. Okay? And when you say those love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, the nine of them, uh, love, right? That, so think about unconditional love. Joy, joy unspeakable, right? Love, joy, peace, peace that passes understanding. Look for the definitions in the Bible and think about those nine and see where you are in each one of those. I picture them like tubes and see how full they are. You know, how's my unconditional love doing? Yeah, what? You know, how much peace do I have? How much patience? How kind am I? Um, so those things will develop and then that's the basis of fruitful ministry. Um, provision for every need. He will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Four, the promises of the kingdom which are summed up in love, joy, and peace. Five, successful overcoming of the devil and the flesh which is the manifestation of the full armor of God. And if you don't know the full armor of God, you look in Ephesians 6. It's a good practice to put that on every day. Sometimes I do that. Confession, a lot of days I don't. Okay? So I think it's the helmet of salvation, uh, the breastplate of righteousness, gird about your loins the belt of truth, shod your feet with the gospel of peace, take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, put on the shield, the breastplate of righteousness, extinguish all the flaming arrows of the enemy, and pray continually with all kinds of prayers and requests, and pray for all saints. Think about that armor. Study the armor, right? I have not studied it enough, but Ephesians 6 is where you can find that. <clears throat> Number six, the ability to discern good, in other words, the spirit, from evil, the flesh. Your discernment will go way up. The longer you walk with Jesus, the more you just know, okay? In a lot of ways, the more you can trust that what your understanding is, your discernment is right on. Let the whole world be alive. Let the whole world go in a direction. Right? Joshua 24, 15. It's for me and my household. We will serve the Lord. Do whatever you want. I'm not going to be pulled there. Okay? Um, seven. Greater ability to walk in the Spirit. You know yourself when you were a baby Christian, you were tossed to and fro. You're not tossed so to and fro now. Very wind of doctrine. Everything that comes along. Okay? And less so all the time. Um, so you have a greater ability to walk in spirit. And the very last one, uh, you have a heart of love and compassion, which is to love the lost. Okay? We want everybody to have this. We want everybody to have this Jesus that we have. We do. All right? So we love the lost. Uh, we love the body of Christ. It's great when I come here. This is a little oasis. 
right? We, I don't have this all week, right? Julianne and I are a little island, but we don't, generally don't have that, right? Our family is not Christian generally. Her family is Christian, but they're, you know, we can FaceTime them a little bit. So the body of Christ, this is a great, great little oasis we have. It's, I don't take this for granted. Um, so love the lost, love the body of Christ, and love the Lord with all your heart, mind, and strength. So as we enter promised land, this is all here for us. Okay? All right, that's it. Thanks. Thank you.